We've all heard the saying, learn to love the process. But why learn to love something? Why not create a process that is easy to love? Welcome to Peace with the Process, where I bring you professionals who specialize in the processes we incorporate to sustain consistent, healthy growth. I believe in learning from others' mistakes and successes. So I also bring on entrepreneurs who have been in the trenches and tell us how they got there and how they got out. I hope you find something in today's episode that you can apply to your own life and that you find your peace with the process along the way. Let's get started. Buenos dias, tardes y noches, mis amigos. And welcome back to another episode of Peace with the Process. But you didn't know I knew a little Spanish, did you? Well, I am excited for today's episode, as I'm sure you are. If you caught the teaser video that we had put out on Facebook and Instagram, you will see today we have a modern-day Renaissance man on the podcast. And uh, you've even seen that on our socials. If you haven't, go check it out. Go check it out. You can kind of give yourself a little bit of a teaser before you listen to the full episode. And be sure to hop back over to Facebook or Instagram on that teaser post that we put up and put in the comment section what you thought about today's episode, what your takeaways were, and how you enjoyed what you enjoyed from our conversation. Now, today, our conversation is kind of a special one, and it's really special based on how I came across our guest, Mr. Nick Velasquez, and it is because I have had the opportunity to get involved in a mastermind group with um, Ryan and Nick from Book Thinkers. If you remember, we had Nick on, uh, Nick Hutchison on the podcast a few episodes back, uh, with book thinkers and he reached out and I got involved in a mastermind opportunity with him. So with that, I have had an opportunity to meet several other like-minded individuals in this mastermind group, some amazing people, and I've just been reaching out and having conversations with them. A lot of times these conversations are so amazing. I wish I had a record option on some of those first conversations. Uh, but I don't want to just immediately jump into recording a first-time conversation with somebody. But uh, you will see today's conversation branched off of an initial reach out and connecting with each other, me and Nick, and just getting acquainted and realizing that we had a lot in common. We shared similar ideals and enjoyed the conversation that we had. So I extended the offer to have him come on the show and just kind of let's just start off in a conversation, no real big agenda, because I knew that we were both dedicated to self-improvement and to the journey and to peace with the process. I knew that our conversation would have some meat in it. We learn a lot about Nick and we learn a lot about the concept of creativity. You'll see that toward the, uh, not necessarily the end of the episode. I think we sprinkle it in throughout actually, now that I've gone back and listened to it. But what we're going to, uh, what I'm going to do for you guys today is just thank you all, as I do every time, for the ratings and reviews on our podcast. They are extremely appreciated, and I extremely appreciate those of you who have taken time to sit down and write out your thoughts on how this podcast has benefited you. Those are extremely appreciated. You took time out of your day, and you are our most valued 
listeners. Thank you so much. Uh, if you want to leave a rating and review and help us out uh, in one way, then you can do that on anywhere that you listen to your podcasts, or you can head over to Apple Podcasts just in case the platform you're listening on doesn't have that option. Now, thank you guys so much for tuning in to another episode of Piece of the Process. Because our conversation runs a little long, I'm not going to spend too much time on the intro. I'm going to get right into the conversation. Here's me and Nick. All right. So what's up? Not much, man. Not much. I think we're just going to roll right into it. No need to, it. uh, yeah, no need to prep, no need to intro. Mm. And, uh, we obviously had some conversations going off the last time, but man, I don't know if you can tell out of the back ground here, I have a huge storm rolling in right now, shaking the trees and doing all kinds of stuff. So if we lose internet connection or anything like that, then, uh, all right. we'll, we'll, we'll do what we got to do to fix that up. But How's everything going no out where you're at? Here's pretty sunny. It's nice. <laughs> yeah, it's another beautiful day. Oh man, we, yeah. we crave these days because it's such a long winter here in, in Canada that uh, when the summer rolls in, everyone goes insane. Yeah. Yep. Well, uh, for our listeners, those of you who don't know uh, Nick Velasquez, he is an author. And one of the, or the book that he has written is Learn, Improve, and Master, How to Develop Any Skill and Excel at It. Now, that's just one of the things that Nick does. Nick also handles uh, a variety of other skills, which is why he wrote the book, because you love skills. That's your exactly. thing. You love to learn. Um, I remember in our first conversation, you talked about how your primary source of income is the, the real estate. But that's not Correct. where you've where you've received the majority of your identity. Obviously, the majority of what you what you're known for is this book, mm-hmm. which is learning. And then real estate became something that you enjoyed learning more about. But there's other things that you enjoy learning about, and you list a bunch of them on your website. But I want to hear more about kind of the uh, the origin story. Like how did you how did you get to where you are today? Where did this love of learning and this I won't call it an obsession but it definitely uh, comes off as a passion for this mastery of skills. Yes. So there are two things um, I believe that make part of the origin story. So one is I attended a very different high school than most people. So we didn't have any teachers. Uh, We were supposed to study on our own. So the school was based on the method of Socrates, the philosopher. He believed a lot in questions and drawing out knowledge through questions instead of lectures. So what we had were study guides um, based on different questions, and we will go through them, kind of revealing knowledge as we went along. And so there were no lectures at all for maybe six years, middle school, high school, or um, no teachers. So what we had were tutors. If we had a question about something, then we would approach these people and say, look, I don't understand. Can you guide me through this process? And they will follow the same method. They start asking questions and kind of guiding you through it, but never giving you the answers. Um, so that was kind of the essence of the system. And in a way that puts you in control of learning, everyone was moving at their own pace. So you can finish a, a grade in less than six months if you wanted to. And if you started really hard, or it could take you two years, if you're pretty slow and lazy and didn't want to do anything. Uh, so it was taking, taking charge of learning. So for me, that experience made it so learning was never a drag. It was a process of discovery. 
And because of those experiences too, I'm never afraid of picking up a book and just learning on my own anything I want. Of course, I like I encourage the um, approaching mentors and learning from other people, but you could do the same through books, through classes, through different things. But it's never I've never been afraid to just picking up a book or anything and learning directly from there. Yeah. So I think that was that's the most important one. This, this school really instilled in me this passion for, for learning. And in my house also, um, so my parents were not at all approval of luxury. So if I ever wanted like expensive stuff, they would always say no. So if I want like an expensive watch or something, it's like no, or expensive clothes, no. You want a car, no. But hey, I want to go travel to the States and study music and it's going to cost way more than everything else I just described. That was a yes. So everything learning related in my house was yes. So that became kind of the source of, of pleasure. And there were my luxuries was learning, having access to knowledge, to skills. And to this day, that this is what I spend most of my money on, learning things. Well, I think that's a, a very worthy investment. It, it returns dividends based on how you choose to apply it. I think I've always said that the best investment we can make is in ourselves because in in at least a stronger sense, we control how that outcome looks like. Because I've told people, I said, well, you know, you got people who are investing in the stock market. Well, if that company crashes, it's their decision as to whether or not they, uh, you know, they basically sell off and count their losses. But if you invest in yourself and you crash and burn, it's up to you whether or not you're going to get back in the game and figure out how you can turn this loss into a win. And that's why I always say the investment into ourselves is, uh, is the best investment we can make. Just running off with that example. So two things that I think are important. So last year when the crash happened, so when the pandemic hit and then the stock market was crashing and I had been waiting for a crash like that for many years. And what I realized when the crash happened and I went into the market and I made a couple of mistakes, really expensive mistakes that yes, I had been waiting for an opportunity, but I had not been preparing for an opportunity. And mm -hmm. it's a very different thing. So preparing would have been to be reading a lot and understanding and just having like that, that finger on the trigger ready to go, knowing exactly what I was doing. But I was only waiting for it. And then when it happened, I just didn't know what to do with it. Mm. And I've made tons of mistakes, very costly mistakes. I didn't spend enough time learning. Um, and after those mistakes, I decided to spend money on like this really expensive course. But I mean, compared to what I had lost was nothing. Um, but it was very expensive and I've never paid that much money for a course. And it's like, okay, I'm, I'm going to try to gain all this money back, but I really need to learn. And it took me about a month to learn the stuff from that course. And I recovered all the money within a couple of months and then made some. And it, that just makes me look back and like, I was such an idiot to not spend <laughs> that time and money first learning what the hell I was going to do. Right. Up front. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. That's fantastic. So you got this love for, for learning. And the first thing that you grabbed onto was uh, real estate. Now, is that true? Was it the first thing you grabbed onto real estate or is there something you grabbed onto first? No, for, for business, it would be real estate. But the first thing, my first love was playing guitar. Mm -hmm. And so in my teenage years, after listening to Metallica, like, I want to be like them. I want to play guitar. I want to play arenas. So that was kind of the first thing. And I pursued it. After a while, I realized that if, if things didn't work out the way I wanted, which was playing live and big concerts and stuff, 
I would end up uh, teaching guitar. And I didn't want to do that. Not that there was anything wrong with teaching, but that was not what I was dreaming of. So I realized that I needed to do something to take care of my finances. We can't deny the fact that money is an important role in our society and we need it to have a decent standard of living and to keep things moving in our lives, just putting in food or shelter, all these different things. So it's an integral part. We need to take care of it. And I figured I'm going to treat those things separately. I'm going to do, there is my hobbies and things that I'm passionate about, but I need to figure something out that will take care of, of the bills. Some people do it differently. They pursue a passion say, well, the money comes, that's okay. I didn't want to go that route. I decided I'm going to do for money what is optimal for money. And I'm going to do for joy what is optimal for joy. Um, so I started studying what was the easiest and fastest way to make money. And at that time, real estate just kept showing up. So I figured, I guess it's real estate. But there was no inherent passion about real estate. It was just a means to an end. It seemed like a, a good way to make money. Maybe today there are different ways that are probably more optimal and allow you to travel more and be more. Uh, detached from the actual business but that's what i found at that time and it worked well for me and so that's how i went into real estate but like i said and you mentioned that i have no identity tied to real estate i wouldn't describe myself as a real estate investor you know how people say well i'm a lawyer versus i practice law so to me it's like i do real estate investing that's far away don't think of me as a real estate investor i don't look like one i don't dress like one um, <laughs> <laughs> not, nothing at all it's just what pays the bills people are surprised when i tell them that that's how i make my money well i think a lot of people i think it's easy for us to get wrapped up in what we do to earn a living mm -hmm. and i think there's the yeah, there are there's different types of people there's people who have the ability to just earn the money that it takes for them to live a life they want to enjoy and then there's some people who spend a ton of time focused toward uh, doing what they enjoy for a living. And I think mm -hmm. both kind of have their pros and cons. Yes. So as, as being somebody who uh, chose the route of picking something to fund a life you enjoy, what's kind of your perception on, on how that aspect has gone for you? Do you wish you would have done it the other way? Are you looking to do it another way now that you've done it that way? Or what do you, what's your take on it? No, I'm happy with the path I chose. And obviously that's much easier after you see the results. So I'm getting to the point where I'm financially free or very close to it. And that allows me a lot of freedom. So I spend as much time as I can in Japan and I couldn't do that if I had a regular job. Um, I get to do things that for most people that are have a, a normal job, they wouldn't do, especially time-wise. Like spending the time the way I want to. I don't wake up with an alarm. I hated alarm clocks. So that was one of the things like I never want to wake up with an alarm clock again. And I don't. So that to me is valuable. And it's not like I'm rich. I just have a normal standard of living, but, but it's under my control. And I prefer that. But in that example, my brother decided to go the other route and he, he has a job and he has a high paying job and it's, it's a big position and he's one executive and, but he works a lot. Uh, but that's what he enjoys. He enjoys being in charge of an area and being part of something bigger than what he could have built on his own. I wanted to build my small thing, but be that king of a small land <laughs> and being like part of a cog in, in a much bigger picture. So I think it really depends on personality. I'm not saying that one thing is better than the other. It really depends on who you are and what you like. I'm happy with the path I took. I'm glad that I don't have to show up to a job every day that I control my time. And then I have the freedom to do a lot of things. So that to me is more valuable. 
Right. So what's what does the what does the day in day out look like for you? Talk about not waking up with an alarm clock. I think mm-hmm. I think there's a bunch of people who would agree that they want to set themselves up with that kind of a lifestyle as well. But uh, you know, tell us a little bit about what what's your what's your day to day look like? Right. So I think it changes from season to season. Uh, this year, what is happening right now? It's I wake up, um, I check stock market since I've been trading so much. But I'm I'm gonna be taking steps back from that because I'm feeling it's it's absorbing me too much, and I'm I reduced a lot of my creative work out of being in the market. I think I made the money I wanted to make. I placed the positions I wanted to place, the long term ones, and it's about time for me to take a step back. But right now, what's happening is I wake up, I check the markets, I work out, um, then I go back to the market a little bit more, then work on my real estate business, then read. And that's pretty much the end of the day. So for a while I was, I had writing right after working out and that's what I want to go back to because I haven't been writing that much lately. And that was kind of a new passion I was developing, which I feel it, it nourishes more than working on the stock market. So I want to take a step back from the stock market and then my days would look like they would look last year, which was wake up, work out, write. And then after writing comes working on my real estate business, whatever needs to be done, then reading. And that's pretty much the day. Uh, maybe try to do something social. So I'm trying to do something that works out my, my body. So that's the exercising. Something for my mind, which would be reading. Uh, something that is a creative expression will be writing. And then something social. Now, that's my ideal day. If someone asks me, what's the ideal day? Um, it encompasses those things. And I'm talking ideal day in the regular sense, not the, oh, going to a beach and I'm <laughs> blowing up all my money. So when I was asking myself, what would my ideal day look like? All those things would fall into place. So exercising, something creative, something that is internalizing information, like taking in information, which is reading, and then something social. And I think that balances out really well. Now, I, I like that because I think a lot of times when we ask people, hey, what does your ideal day look like? And I've done that with several people just in my in my social circle here. Mm-hmm. Uh, what does that look like for you? And the immediately immediate thing they go to is, oh, well, you know, I would I'd wake up on a beach and here and yada, yada. And yeah. it's usually something that is not sustainable. Like it's OK. That's right. the last day of your life type thing because uh-huh. you blew all your money and <laughs> you've got no yes. connections because you told everyone to screw off because you won the you won the lottery like uh-huh. You can't do that every day of your absolute life. So I like that. Yes. Um, that's really cool. So you've been able to craft that day over time. What was it like trying to craft that day? Were you able to implement just one piece of that? And then it was working toward getting another piece of that day to, to line up? Or, or how did you yeah. go about crafting that day? So a couple of things that are interesting about this is I don't like working out. So people assume that I enjoy because I do it every day. I don't. Every day I'm thinking, I don't want to do this. Uh, but I keep telling myself like, well, quit tomorrow. And then tomorrow gets renewed at the same thing. Uh, and it's been years I've been working out every day. But when I sat down, I was thinking, what would be my ideal day? I realized that exercising would be part of it. So it's like, why do I complain so much about this? If it's something that I would nonetheless include in my ideal day. Same with writing. I think I've never loved hating something so much. It's so difficult and it's painful. But at the same time, there is that joy, same as with exercising. Once you're done, it feels amazing. I think there is this quote from Hemingway that said, um, I hate writing, but I love having written. And yes. it's I feel the same way. So there are these things that are a struggle, but once you do it, you feel good about yourself. 
So those two things. And I noticed as I was trying to finish my book, when you asked me how this came about, I noticed that I couldn't write later on in the day because there was too much going on um, or I was too stressed out. It wasn't flowing. And then same for working out. If I left working out for the afternoon, I would notice that things from work would get in the way and I wouldn't work out and I push it to the next day. So I figured, okay, I wake up and I work out. No questions, nothing. I just go straight. And that's the hardest one. And after working out, I don't read email, work email or anything like that. Right. And then I found that once I got those two things down, the rest of the day was basically one. Uh, mm. I didn't have to, if I didn't want to work, that was okay. But the things that I couldn't skip were the ones that were really important for my own growth. So exercising the creative part and reading work is like, if I can push it to tomorrow, it doesn't matter. Um, so that's kind of how it came about. It was putting them as priorities and deciding this is what I value the most. So no matter what, I'm going to be writing, I'm going to be exercising, and I'm going to be reading and then try to sprinkle in some, some socializing in there, but you can't really do that every day. You try to, but, right. but the other parts were non-negotiable, really reading, writing and exercising were non-negotiable. Right. No, it's, you have a lot of uh, expression of self. And I think that's vital to, uh, to anybody's daily process, your ability mm-hmm. to, uh, to have you involved in what you do. It's not you doing somebody else's stuff uh, all day yes. long. And no, I enjoy that. And I enjoy hearing you point out that you put the hard to do things first on your list of things to do. Uh, in the day, because that's the first thing you can knock those out. And typically, I think we we usually have the highest level of focus and probably the highest level of energy within those first few hours of waking up and, and starting our day. And yeah, I think that's a, a perfect setup. True. Yeah. The other thing about that is, so exercising comes first, because there is an extra benefit. Um, kind of hormone-wise, that is going to help you for the rest of the day. So after you exercise and you have that high and you, it kind of builds your energy. So I found that that was the ideal point for exercising. Not at night because then you don't get to sleep that well, especially if what you're doing is heavy lifting. Uh, it kind of disrupts your sleep because you're putting your body to stress. But when it's in the morning and you have all these endorphins and so the exercising was propelling me towards the writing then the writing would exhaust me and then it would be like, okay, I'm going to do a little bit of work, what I can get done, which is administrative stuff or running errands. And then the winding down of the day comes the reading, which mm. is kind of like the moment that I found my peace. It's like, okay, I'm good for the day. So exercising in that sense, being one of the toughest things, yes, it should come first, but it also gives you the energy to do everything else in the day. There is this kind of neurochemical process that is going to help you for everything else. Right, right, right. Yeah, those release of uh, of endorphins, those feel good chemicals in the body. Absolutely. And not only are you doing that through the exercise itself, but through the completing of a task that you had set out to do in and of itself, boosts those endorphins as well. So if it's not exercising for somebody, they're not getting that physical uh, blood flow boost, but they are still getting those endorphins from having accomplished probably some of the harder things in their day by setting their day up in a similar way. So you do mention what that's that's four things right you've got your your exercise you've got your writing and you've got some of your work things going on and then you got your reading mm-hmm. so that's four main things in your day now that is not a lot if you think about it in terms of just those four tasks do you have things going on in between those or are you just spending a lot of time on each one uh 
So depending on the time. So last year I was also studying Japanese. I'll cover another hour of the day. Right now I'm a little bit more disorganized. So I found that I'm not in, in the best place right now. So there are a lot, a lot of things that went wrong over the past few months. So whenever that happens, I kind of retract to the basics. It's like, if I can get these things done, then that's all right. If I can work out every day, and it depends, like if I'm really in a horrible state, like if I can wake up and work out, that's okay, man. Like mm. you get to take the best rest of the day off if you want to. So I noticed that I spend a lot of the day just worrying or just uh, sitting around double checking things. But it's, it's at this time, all the times when I feel more at peace, then the other things would be like, yes, I study Japanese. So that's one. Um, try to spend more time reading. So reading would take a bigger chunk of the day. And just things like that. If I'm learning a new skill, then that obviously that will take another chunk of the day. It's, it's things like that. But mostly I try to stick to those main four and whatever I can fit in between, depending on if I'm really feeling really well, then I'll add more stuff. But I try not to turn it into something that is scheduled to the minute because I found that that doesn't work for me. I've tried mm. before. When, when I was much younger, I had this uh, planning tool and I was planning like, how long I was going to be brushing my teeth or showering. And like, that was insane. I should have never done that. <laughs> <laughs> and I was trying to follow that to a T. And the problem is that then you become frustrated because some things take longer and now, okay, the day's ruined. Everything went out of place and now you're trying to put it back and you're just living in this perpetual state of anxiety. So I'd rather be on the, okay, there are four things I need to do and there, if there's time left, then I get to work on some other projects. Right, right. Well, hey, I'm that guy. And I still do that today. I've actually got my day incrementalized down. And I tell people uh, 15 minute increments, anything that takes less than 15 minutes, it's not really worth throwing on a daily, uh, daily schedule. But I do come across people who, who try to do that. And when they miss something, it ruins the entire day. And my response to that has always been that this daily routine that I create is not it's designed for me to have my most optimal day. I, I shower at a specific time because uh, if I did it later or earlier, then you know something would 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 probably not benefit as well as if I had done it then. Or maybe I take a nap on that particular day because I could use some more energy later on in the day. Whatever it may right. be, I craft these days to have my most optimal day, mm -hmm. knowing that life is going to come in and it's going to try to mess up my day. Yep. That's, that's, that's what it's going to do. And so what do we do with that? Because we can't, like you said, we can't spend our entire life trying to make life work for us. We need to figure out how do we, how do we work in life? How do we, how do we live in this life uh, and mm -hmm. still have control over what we can have control over? So my answer to that has been uh, just prioritizing. Okay. If this comes up, if this has to come up, I actually had, I just recently finished an article where I talk about, I call it the daily rhythm. And I use the word rhythm very uh, choicely because I relate it to someone, a dancer or even a musician. So maybe you could even relate to this a little bit. So right. as a dancer or a musician, when you're performing, I think of every day as a performance. To me, that's fun. It's fun to think of every day mm -hmm. as kind of a, of a performance. Whoever I'm performing for doesn't matter. Sometimes it's just me. And yes. uh, if something comes along, if I miss a step, in my in, in a dance a dancer misses their step in their performance or a musician misses a chord or messes something up they don't stop in the middle of their performance mm -hmm. and walk off stage they don't say oh 
and then try to start over from the top again. What they do is they pick back up where they left off. Now, if they messed up, if something drastic came in and, and completely, you know, really offset several steps of the performance, then they make a decision. They, okay, say, do, do I start back over from the last thing that I got right? Or do I just pick up as if nothing had happened in between? And right. That's the choices that I've trained myself uh, and that I've kind of designed uh, what I coach on around to do on a daily basis. So you just decide is what I missed out on because this event came up. And so for instance, you got a flat tire on your way to uh, the gym. Okay. You got a flat tire. It took 30 minutes uh, for you to fix that flat tire. And now you're missing out on 30 minutes of going to the gym. You usually go to the gym for an hour. Right. So if you go to the gym for an hour, but now you're 30 minutes late, are you going to just go ahead and work out for 30 minutes? Or is there something that's going on after your workout that you can sacrifice 30 minutes from and go ahead and hit your one hour workout? and have something else take a 30-minute sacrifice. And you can kind of make those prioritizations throughout your day and go, hey, I made the best decisions with the hand that life dealt me today, and I feel really right. good about that. It, it keeps the game fresh instead of trying to play the same game and get 100% every day when something tries to come in and mess it up. That makes sense. Um, in a way, so I try, maybe I do it a little bit more flexible than that, but mm -hmm. I understand the point and it makes a lot of sense to me what I try to do, but this works for me. I'm not saying that this is a better way. And it's, uh, I don't think about the things that I do every day um, in regards to the hour of the day. Not mm -hmm. anymore. I used to. So I used to think, okay, I work out at 10, so 10 to 11. Now I don't care. I just know that that's the first thing that comes in the day. If it's at 10.30, if it's at 11, it doesn't matter. Just get my workout in. And then, so by the time I was doing, I was very organized with the writing and, and the exercising would be like, I work out first thing in the morning and then I write for two hours. So if that brings me to 2 p.m. or to 12 or to 1 p.m., I don't care. I just care about those chunks. I know I need to exercise and I'm going to do my full workout. And then I know I have to write and I know I have to write for two or three hours. So I would write. It was completely flexible. I was thinking I'll write it either for what was it for two hours or 700 words or a thousand words, something like that, whatever, whichever came first, came mm -hmm. first. So it, it's in a way I stopped thinking about what time is it today and what I should be doing. I'm more thinking about the activities and then the blocks is like what comes next. And that right. took a, a lot of anxiety off me, but that's just because of my personality. I was very stressed out of thinking, well, at two, I, I'm sh I should be doing this thing. Right now it's just, once this thing is over, I'm supposed to do this other thing. Right. But not about the specific time of the day. But again, that works for me because I don't have a specific schedule. I don't have to go to work. I don't have to do anything else. So I build it in a way that I just expand or contract as needed. Right. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's, I think the finding the balance between uh, flexibility, like 100% flexibility, but where you have no obligations, you just go as you would like. And uh, I get uh, what is the word rigidity, uh, mm -hmm. basically this very rigid version of that. Uh, it's finding the balance in between based on yes. yeah, who you are and what you what your day looks like. What does that look like yep. for you? I believe in that the balance is going to be different for everyone. Um, exactly. Each person is going to find, OK, this works for me. This doesn't. I feel more calm this way. Mm -hmm. I don't have to think about, oh, at a specific time, I should be doing this thing because I know that stresses me out. Right. And I still get things done. So like it right. works. Right, 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 right. Whatever it works. Absolutely. That's right. Yeah. And I can tell that's your personality by the way you present yourself. 
I probably don't show up as a high strung type of person, but I do have, I also talk about the concept of, uh, of the movie montage that we see in our heads. So I think we all have this vision of what it looks like for us to go throughout our day perfectly with like this enthusiasm and this energy. I think everybody has a version of that. And uh, mine is always like, yes, boom, I'm nailing tons of things every day. I love operating in kind of this high energy space okay. and then having, and then having small periods where I can go, oh, that was amazing. I rocked those last, you know, four hours. I'm going to yeah. take a moment to relax. And then I'm going to get up and I'm going to rock the rest of this day. Huh. And then I'm going to relax again and I'm going to rest and I'm going to wake up and I'm just going to keep rock, rock, rock and rocking. But so my, so that's, you know, in my, in my day, uh, my movie montage moment, I would say, I think everybody is able to incorporate it with tasks, but then sometimes the environment has a lot to do with it, which mm -hmm something I like about what you said, and I wanted to ask you about was uh, your time you spend in Japan. So what's the allure yep. uh, to Japan? You know, I guess I always think of that movie montage moment, like, yes, yeah. I do go to the coffee shop in the morning, and I work most of the day at the coffee shop. That's part of my, my, my ideal day. Uh, mm -hmm. But maybe I would prefer that it's a coffee shop uh, somewhere near a beach in Cuba or something like that, you know? Yeah. So it, it, the environment has a lot to do with it. And you've had an opportunity to experience some of that. Yeah. Well, the environment plays such a big role. And mm. it's interesting to think that for some people, they believe that it, it, it plays no role, but the environment is so powerful that it's responsible for one of the, uh, like the biggest phenomena in nature, which is evolution. So the environment shapes even how animals and every species has developed to become. And, and we still think that the environment doesn't affect us. <laughs> it has a huge effect. Yes, I noticed that I haven't been writing as much because there are no coffee shops open. And mm. my habit, my routine was I work out and then I walk to the coffee shop and I sit down and I write for two or three hours. And then I get to go back home and that's okay. But now like everything's in the same spot. Nothing's open here in Montreal yet. Um, so everything's in the same spot. So in the same spot that I work for stocks and then I do the work for real estate, now I'm supposed to stop and switch my brain and be creative and be relaxed. Mm. And it's just not happening. It's not happening at all. Um, so that's been a big one. And for me, Japan, just going through that subject, I fell in love with the place and mostly it was the people. They were so friendly. They were so polite the attention to detail, to quality, they just live a different way. They're very community oriented instead of individual oriented. So everyone's kind of very aware of not bothering the other people around them. So if you go into the Metro and it's um, rush hour, it's going to be packed and no one speaks because everyone's trying to protect everyone else's right to silence and to be calm. So you're, if you're talking to your friend, you have to be whispering basically and you don't answer the phone in the metro, that's just rude. Um, yeah, you don't, you're not talking to people. So I found that to be very, very, I don't know, it makes life enjoyable, that everyone's kind of worried also about my well-being and respecting my own space. Wow. Uh, we're in North America, you don't have it as much. It's like everyone on their own, and like, this is what I want, and I'm going to go after it. Like, yeah, you're not taking into consideration everyone else. But they think that what, the, what it's best for the community in the end is best for the individual as well. So you see it everywhere. For example, if someone cuts you off in Japan, you're driving, someone cuts you off. People don't hunk. Because if you hunk, yeah, so that asshole cut you off. 
but now by honking, you're bothering everyone else around you. So in the streets of Tokyo, which are packed, you don't hear honking. Really? And I was shocked. It's like, what's happening? You're like, well, it's good manners not to honk. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Like, this is something else. So out of every place that I've been to in my life, which I had the opportunity to travel to a lot of countries, the only place where I felt that I was, I was dropped in another planet has been Japan. Like really? this makes no sense and it works. Hmm. And so to me, I lived in New York for a little bit and I love the energy of New York. It's fast. It's, it's moving. Uh, I don't think at this time I could live there because I'm way too stressed out and it was just pushing over the edge. But, uh, and there was always this excuse uh, when I talked to people like, why, why are people like kind of dry and stuff or sometimes rude? And they would say, well, it's because they're in a rush. They don't have time. It's not that they're rude. It's just that they don't have the time. And I always believed that story mm. until I got to Tokyo. Tokyo is probably twice as busy. It's twice as many. It, metropolitan area, it's 45 million people, something like that. Wow. It's insane. It's the most <laughs> populated city in the world. And people would stop and help you and be so polite. And they're just as in a rush as in other places. And I realized that was a lot of you know, BS. Yeah. Uh, it's not that people are in a rush and that's why they're not friendly. It's because they're just not friendly. Um, so that kind of shattered that idea. It's like, wow, you can find a metropolitan city that is so developed and where people are very nice because there's always this idea you either live in the small town and you have that niceness and friendliness or you live in the big city and it's probably more distance, uh, more impersonal. People are more individualistic, more on their own. And I thought that was a trade-off until I got to Tokyo. You feel like you're in a small town while being in a huge city. So that, that was the big drive of being there. And life feels so calm. When everyone's trying to help you, when everyone's respecting your space, you want to be outside. You want to be among them. Um, you feel calm. And to me, just that environment, it was, it was a blessing for finishing the book, for doing the workouts. While I'm there, I wake up like at 3 a.m. I go work out and then write and then read. And it's just calm. Every day is calm. What I've noticed more and more is that maybe calmness or being stable, being okay, that's the new happiness. Mm. Happiness might bring you this pursuit that stresses you out, but when you're calm, you feel like everything's good. My life yeah. is okay. So yeah. now I, I look more for those things than maybe strong emotions or the happiness that, that spark. That to me, happiness in a way is kind of like the orgasm of what would be like a sexual uh, session. It's like you, you can't have one just just that part you wouldn't just want to have orgasm in your life and not have sexual experience sure so to me that calmness and that peacefulness is everything else that comes along and then it results once you add more joy then it results into that happiness so you kind of have need to have both it can't just be strong experiences and call it a day right absolutely i agree and it makes sense because you know i think about okay so what what would you need intenseness for based on what I've heard you talk about in your life? Well, being a writer, like it, at least that being a big driving point of your day, I feel like I couldn't do that if I was in this intense uh, environment. It, it wouldn't mesh correctly. Um, and I've even found that with my own with my own writing when I do articles. I tried to do uh, I tried to go, uh, articles, uh, videos, content, all within this short period of time and uh, try, to, try to have it all churned out. 
And I realized I couldn't go from one creative style to the other uh, as quickly. So what I would end up doing is I would end up writing uh, several articles within one week. And then I would go and get into a different creative flow the following week. And that would be whenever I do, mm -hmm. you know, some videos over those articles or I go in and yes. I do some of the content for those. So it, yeah, you kind of craft that environment. I like that. I like that a lot. I think you need to slow down a little bit to write especially yeah. because you're going to be fleshing out ideas and things. And that requires that there is this stillness, you know, and, and just kind of fleshing out everything you needed to say and then reorganize it. It has, as you were saying, has a rhythm. So funny enough that you mentioned the rhythm because when I wrote the book and then there was this chapter where I felt it wasn't flowing as well. So what I did is like I put on Vivaldi uh, the spring and I was reading along and this, whenever the reading interrupts the music, I have a mistake that I need to fix oh. because it needs to be moving at the rhythm I'm trying to make it move. So that was kind of something that I incorporated from music. And then because sometimes you, if you put on the music and then you try to read, you'll find like some spots that it, it kind of stops you and then it, it interrupts the flow. Like, okay, this thing, this is what's dragging the chapter. Let's change that. That's interesting. Yeah. Wow. Using music in combination with your writing to find to find a flow of thought really i guess is what it is because is it is it more so the thought or is it more so the vocabulary no, it's not necessarily of the thought or the vocabulary it's just the um is the rhythm of the writing so when you're reading something is how the sentences flow together that it makes you move along so what i wanted to create is a lot of books feel like you're climbing a mountain okay it feels like this treacherous path to knowledge and i wanted the opposite i wanted people to feel like it was a gentle current carrying them downstream one sentence moving you to the next one that's what good writing is supposed to feel like if you mm -hmm. ever read a good novel or a good fiction it feels like you're just kind of moving along and it's, you're not even putting in the effort it's dragging you in um, so that's what i was looking for and so i would put on the music and start reading the chapter and when i felt that i i was interrupted like the writing was not moving or like my reading wasn't moving at the same speed it's because the drag, the writing had dragged me uh, down and I needed to change it. I needed to change the central structure or just the flow, cut the paragraph, do something. But it was interrupting with the flow of the music. So it was on the editing. On the writing itself, I would put on a song and repeat. And I've heard a lot of writers do the same thing. It just brings you into this trance where you're just so focused and you're not paying attention to the song. The song becomes background, but it needs to be the same song and it repeats over and over and over again. Okay. Okay. So is this yeah. something that you learned through the development of, so I, you wrote a book on the development or how to, how to learn and how to, how to build skills. Did you, I'm assuming you obviously used those tactics to develop the skill of how to write a book. Yeah. Many of them, many of them I used. Okay. So, so one was obviously just going through the material, exploring the craft, which is the beginning of the book. You first explore what you're trying to get into. Then you compile all this information and then you start putting into practice. Um, then the editing. One of the things that I was interesting is, and I talk about it in the book, is the idea that sometimes we believe a skill to be a certain way. And then once we go into it, we realize it's something completely different. So the example is I, wa I wanted to learn how to fly a plane because I thought it was going to give me this sense of freedom and, you know, just being able to do whatever you wanted. And when I got into it, I found something completely different. 
you're following a lot of rules. You need to do careful planning, uh, studying meteorology and all this stuff. And it's still fun, but it's not what I was looking for. And mm. on the opposite spectrum, I never wanted to try surfing because I had this huge respect for water after drowning, tw after almost drowning twice when I was a kid. Yeah. So I didn't want to try it. And then one day it's like, okay, let's try this thing. And I thought it was just catching wave and catching waves and catching. Wave. And no, a lot of time you just spend there in nature, just floating around waiting for the next wave. And I thought this is very cool. It's very different from what I thought it was. So sometimes we have this idealized version of what the skill is. And we need to explore it and really go deep to find out, oh, okay, this is what it's like. This is not what I want, or this is what I want. So for someone thinking about going into writing, the art of writing is not in writing, it's in rewriting and editing. Mm. That's where the magic happens. And that's hours upon hours of you taking something that you put into the paper that was the creative side, which may only be one hour out of every 10 that you put in, then trying to polish, organize, clarify, and make it look good. So the creative part is very short, and then the real work is on the editing and rewriting. Wow. So I love, I love the, the, what's the word? The, the kind of the practice again, to go back to the music with the, uh, with the writing. And one of the things that I wanted to ask you is, is, do you feel that not only is there a need to have this increased skill in writing so that you can identify that flow and you can use that that method but that there also needs to be a skill developed and this may seem obvious this may sound kind of like a dumb question but uh in reading and how we read because i would i would think that there has to be a connection of those two skills to come together in order to do that effectively no a hundred percent so writing the craft of writing involves that you have to read a lot too because mm. otherwise you can't really tell what's good writing and what's not so good writers, the great writers, they read a lot too. They study all the writers, how they do things, um, their cadences, the voice, the, the strength, um, the length of the sentences, all those different things you, you need to be reading. Um, so I think about it in a way of like breathing. You need to take in and then comes out. It can't just be one thing. You can't just read a lot and then it's all held there and you're doing nothing with it. And it can't just be excelling without taking anything in because then you have nothing really there's nothing coming out mm. um so you need both you need to be inhaling so you're taking all this information all these reference points and then the exhaling is your own expression how all those things converge in your own mind and comes something that is unique so when i when i was talking to nick the other day uh, book thinkers and mm -hmm. and I, I was explaining to him that Many people could have written a much better book than the one I wrote. I'm 100% sure of that. I'm not a great writer. A lot of people could have written a better book, but no one could write the same book. Mm. No one. So in a way, that, that's what's valuable about the book. is like all these experiences, everything that's gone through my mind and that I've experienced in the past, the things that I've tried to learn, the things that I've gone into, all this combined in a unique way that now it's in the book. So my entire life is in that book in one way or another. And coming back to your point directly, you do need to read a lot. Otherwise, you don't, you don't know where to go. So when I finished my first draft, I realized it, it was way worse than I thought. And it read horribly because most of what I had been reading for years was scientific writing. They're not writers. They're scientists. Mm. 
that are communicating ideas and experiments. So I was reading uh, learning science, learning experiments, all these things, and the writing is very dry. They have a specific way of saying things. And I noticed that I was doing the same because I had not been exposed to good writing. Mm. So the ideas were good, but the writing was horrible. It's only when I started reading about writing and reading some really good authors, I was like, okay, now this is what I'm supposed to aim at writing-wise, not content-wise. So content-wise, I needed all the other books that were about uh, how to learn, how we learn, um, neuropsychology, all these different subjects. That was the content. But now I needed the delivery. And the delivery came from other places. Mm. So books such as On Writing Well, William Sinsler, I think that's just his last name. This is beautifully written. And it's a book about writing. And you would think like, <laughs> this, is, this would be boring. And I couldn't put it down. It's mm. not good. The writing is not good. So that's once amazing. you find a good writing, it's like, this is what I'm aiming at. Or I... I picked up this book, The Psychology of Money. Man, I wish I could write like that guy. It, it makes me want to hate myself. I'm reading that book. It's like, this is amazing. This is the writing I wish I could do. But I'm in my own process, so I'll get there eventually. It's yeah. more practice. It's the same thing. Studying Absolutely. more, practicing more, and doing it more. Yeah, man. You, uh, your passion for writing comes out as uh, very obvious. And uh, I think when we had our first discussion, which just for the listeners who, who weren't aware how Nick and I came about uh, getting acquainted, we, uh, we both have an opportunity to be involved in a mastermind group with uh, Book Thinkers. Uh, Nick from Book Thinkers, he's been on the show before. You guys can check out his uh, episode with me and him. Uh, go back in the archives a little ways. But uh, we, are, we are all in a, uh, a mastermind together. And Nick is one of the gentlemen who was in that mastermind as well. Um, we reached out, we got connected and enjoyed our conversation so much. I said, man, we need to, we need to record this the next time that we, that, that we talk. So we did set it up for two, like a day or two later. And that's how we're kind of acquainted. So I'm, I'm excited to see where this mastermind goes and, and what this project is yeah. that we're working on. I'm not going to divulge any uh, detailed information on it because uh, it's still, it's still a journey and an, and an adventure for, for me as well. But yeah. that's how we're acquainted. That's how we got here today. With back to my back to my topic of your passion for writing, uh, what you talk about wanting to write more. What's the next thing for you? Um, after I finished the book, I started writing a few short stories, and they felt like a joy because short stories don't take that long to complete. So they may take maybe two weeks or so, three weeks, maybe a month. And you go from the process from beginning to end. And I was applying some of the lessons that I talk about in the book, which you need feedback and you need to shorten that feedback loop. So the idea with a short story is that you're going from beginning to end very quickly. That allows you to check all your mistakes and like how I'm developing a beginning, how I'm developing a middle, how I'm developing an end, and then kind of moving along through that practice faster. Like you're augmenting the, the frequency of the drills, if you think about it that way. Instead, if you want to write a novel, it could take you two years and then realize, oh, you made all these mistakes. You got to go back to the drawing board. So in a way, short stories can also be practice for writing long things because you're forced to create characters to develop a story and it only takes you a month. So imagine you create 12 of them in a year. Now you're ready. Now you've done all this work. You practice 12 beginnings, 12 middles, 12 ends, um, hundreds of characters. Wow. Imagine that compared to trying to learn how to write by writing a 300 page novel. 
It yeah. makes no sense. Right. So you're supposed to start like that, like shorten that feedback loop, start with shorter things, but that take you from beginning to end. Same thing with articles. So if someone that thinks, thinks about writing a book is like, maybe write some articles and now you know how to develop an idea, how to flesh it out, how to keep people engaged in them. And now you can go for the full thing. So it's a way kind of to shorten those timeframes by increasing the, the practice drills and the feedback loop. So that's something that I started writing. But then I've been out of writing, I've been in and out because I've been writing about different things, sometimes articles for other people, sometimes creating this online course. So I, I still do some writing, but it doesn't feel structured. I'm not working on a single project. Not even if I would just say, oh, I'm doing articles for my website. It's not even only that. So I'm doing many different things at the same time. Which is bothering me. I, I want to be more focused and it's going to come soon enough. But the other thing that I wanted to write, um, I love philosophy. So I want to write more about that. I don't know if any of that is ever going to be published or become public. Mm. But what I would eventually want to write the most is, is philosophy. But that also takes me to read other philosophers. So right now for this year, one of the goals is just going through my, a lot of my philosophy books because I need to know what was there before me. Otherwise, what's the point? You might be repeating something that someone already thought and developed even better than you did. So you right. need to gather all these ideas, same as we were talking before, is breathing. So you need to take all this in before you put out your own work and, and a combination, permutation of everything you've learned. So it kind of goes both ways. I need to be writing more and, and expanding my thoughts, but also bringing in information from the philosophers that have come before and understand their positions, how they develop their arguments, what they talk about, it's it's the two-step process. It can't just be writing. You need to be taking in a lot of info too. Yeah. So what happens when you have an idea because you put in a lot of work for the book, Learn, Improve, and Master. And like the work that you put in was a lot of, a lot of studies. Uh, there was, yeah. I think, I think I, I heard you talking about how there were was it two years worth of worth of studies and experiments that you kind of went through to, to get this book figured out? It's hard to put it in the time frame because the entire thing took eight years to complete. Wow. And I did about three to four years of research. But obviously, so the research was mostly just reading. But in between some of those books, and I would read something else. It wasn't four years straight up, just neuroscience and psychology. Mm. Like every now and then, I'll be reading about other things. So... When I think about it, so it was eight years, but a good writer, if you gave Ryan Holiday this, this project, he'll probably nailed it in two years. You would do maybe a year of writing and then a year of research or a mm -hmm. year and a half in research. So I think I expanded a lot because I, first I didn't know it was going to become a book. I was just learning about the subject and putting together, compiling this information for myself. When I decided to start writing, it was confusing sometimes i was not putting in the time i would start and i wouldn't know where to go so then i would pause for a couple months so if i compress those time frames maybe writing took me two years and we could say that the research took about two two and a half years too but the whole wow. thing for me personally took eight years but like but, i said if you give it to a good writer same project maybe two two and a half years they could nail it but so but you had the idea of this is going to end in a finished book you had that idea at the beginning of all of this or that was no, okay no, that came after gotcha my idea was to create a book for myself so kind of a master document that i could refer back to anytime i was taking on a new hobby a new skill it was going to be my manual 
Mm. But maybe four years, when I was finishing the research and starting to compile these things, that's when I thought, you know what, I might as well solve this problem for all the people that are in the same position because I can't be the only one out there. And I, basically, I wanted to write the book that I desperately wanted to find and could never find. And I, yeah. I wish this book existed. I'm very selfish in that sense because it would have saved me all this time and I could have put in the time and learning skills instead of writing the book. <laughs> so I wish I wish someone else had written this book. But now, you, but now you enjoy writing because of yes. having written this book. Yes. yes. Okay. Very that is cool. a good point. Very cool. Open so, up the gates for that new, new skill. Yes. <laughs> right, right, right. And so the, um, what was I going to say? There's uh you're, you're, you're diving into, uh, this book, this project. Oh, you talk about wanting to write into uh, some philosophy and getting into that, but making sure that basically nobody has done what your what your original thought that you're thinking. You know, you you probably have a wave that you're going to go in. Now, philosophy can go very very deep and very wide, but you probably have somewhere in there you're thinking of this is an idea that I want to explore and that I might want to write about. So you have to figure out has anybody already done this and have they done it better than me. And in a yes. world where almost nothing under the sun is new, what do you do mm-hmm. if you find out that there is someone out there who's done it and they've done it better than you could have imagined it? What do you do at that point? Yes. Well, there is. Uh, but here's the point. is not necessarily that I have an original idea and I want to make sure that no one else had thought about it before. Mm. It's more that I want to study what has come before to then um, promote more ideas. Mm. But like, why would I spend myself trying to think about these things if maybe someone else already thought of them and I could gain from their knowledge that took them a long time to develop. And now from that, create newer ideas. Um, so it's like, what is the point? Why would you be inventing something that is already invented? So the idea of exploring and going back is like, what's out there. Okay. Got it. But there are some, some thoughts, for example, I think a lot about the, the purpose of suffering and, that idea that struggle is an inherent part of life. And if we do find something that is worth struggling for, that that's kind of the meaning of it. And when I look back, then I see Viktor Frankl talks about that. And then Nietzsche talks about that a lot. And when I go and I read their, their works, it's like, oh, wow. Okay, someone already developed all this thinking into that same thesis. So let's study that. Instead of me sitting down and then finding out like this was all done before, I could have just learned it from someone else and then let it kind of go into my mind and then transform into something else based on my own experiences. So mm. in a way, it's kind of just you're feeding your mind to know what's out there. And with all that information, now you can create your own things. Because just like you said earlier, somebody could have written a better book than you, but they couldn't have written the exact same book. Exactly. And exactly. I think- so. I might think similar to Nietzsche in many respects, but some things are going to be different. Right. But, I, but I need to go deeper because this person spent years and years thinking about that subject. So right. why would I do the same when I could just kind of grab on to what he already created? That's the whole purpose of humanity. We, we kind of stand on the, sh- on the shoulders of giants. Right. So don't reinvent the whole thing. There's people that have been thinking about whatever you're thinking right now, whatever problem you're facing right now. Hundreds of people in the past have dealt through the same thing. And maybe some of them put in enough work to figure it out. So study them. 
Right, right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's, that's very much the smart way. I do also see benefit in the strategic way of intentionally starting off with uh, maybe, maybe a little bit of ignorance, like intentional ignorance, like I intentionally am not seeking some of these different, uh, you know, people who have already done works on it just to see how it turns out at the end with my own experiences in it. Because yeah. as you're talking about that, I get this vision of like uh, artists who are all given the same sculpture to create. They say, hey, I want you to do uh, a portrait of this yeah. man, whatever that, whatever, whatever the project is. And you have 10 different artists who put together this sculpture, a portrait of a man, and all 10 sculptures look different. And you have crowds of people line up. I think every one of them is going to have a crowd around their statue because mm -hmm. there's going to be something unique about that, what that artist did with it, that it connects with different parts of the crowd. Now, somebody exactly. might catch your majority and, and that's the guy who goes on to win the prize at the end of it, but mm -hmm. you still connected with a, with a part of that crowd regardless. Yep. The Very other cool. point, the other point there is, it's not just about the thoughts, but also how they're, they're being delivered. So part of why I want to study this philosopher is how do they explain the, their ideas? How do they package them? It's not just the ideas, how it comes, how it's delivered. That makes it powerful. So it's also a study in writing. And then in that sense, yes, I do benefit from having all these thoughts, all this accumulated experience from people way smarter than me, who probably spend way more time that I would spend on, on the same thinking. But now it's like, okay, how do they express those ideas? And could I do it in a different way that it, it follows my own voice, my own way of seeing the world? So most likely, if you read Nietzsche, um, someone could come up with summaries and they would sound like, oh yeah, it sounds like an interesting idea, but nothing special. But it's the way he writes mm. that, it, that it captures you. So Yes, maybe finding these ideas that are old ideas that resonate with the way I think, but then explaining them in different ways. So something like the works of Ryan Holiday is taking this ancient philosophers and then explain it in a way that it applies to everyone in this age and that it's easy to digest and that it doesn't sound like it's inaccessible. So it's the same idea. And, and there is just as much merit of doing that than in coming up with the ideas themselves. So he's looking back to this great characters in history and saying, how do I explain the same ideas, but in a way that people can grasp them and that it, they are available, kind of democratizing those ideas. So I would love to go through this ancient philosophers, uh, people like Nietzsche, who is not many venture into reading him because mm. sometimes it's difficult, even though he writes beautifully, but it's difficult. So it's kind of writing them in a way that yes, it, they also have part of my identity, but they're more available to just about anyone who wishes to read and, and improve their lives. Yeah. Nick, I, 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 I love the artistic side of you. I don't think we had an opportunity to really explore that deeply in our first conversation together. We were really kind of getting to know each other. Hey, why do you think this way? These are some thoughts that we agree on and stuff like that. And we really knocked that off, man. But the, the, the most unique thing about you is you are filled with uh, art, artisticness and and creativity like it, what and what is your nationality nick i'm colombian colombian south, south america yeah that's right that's right but whenever i whenever i i look at you i almost get like this uh renaissance feel 
because I feel like that's very much how you carry yourself. You have this very much, I'm, I'm go with the flow, you know, uh, but I, but I enjoy deep thought to where it's not laborious, but enjoyable. And no, nah, man, that's something that I'm taking from this conversation. And I, I can, I can now further enjoy some things in life because of uh, how our interaction and how you view the world. And I think I'm that's glad. something that, yeah. And I think that's something that I love for our, our listeners to have an opportunity to, to pull from maybe they might not have if I hadn't mentioned it. So I wanted to make sure I mentioned that. Awesome. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. That's awesome. I can't wait to see what you create, whether it's the next, uh, the next new philosophy book, whether you pick the guitar back up and you play more and, and now you're a musician because you're very much just into skills and wherever the, wherever the wind kind of moves, that creativity is, is where you're going to go and you're going to go on to do awesome and amazing things. But, um, uh, man, I think we've got a, a full hour of a conversation on this podcast, yep. but we could, we could go forever and ever. <laughs> I'll, I'll make one final point there. Yeah. Uh, one of the pursuits that I have right now is to develop some proficiency in one of the skills. So if it's either playing guitar or it's writing, because so creative work must, it must stand on a solid technical foundation. So you do need to develop the skills to then be able to express yourself creatively. What I mean by that is if, if you're a painter, you need to have the skills so your hand will draw what your mind is seeing. Mm. Because you can't, so people have tons of ideas. And I, let me tell you a story. When I was studying music in, in Boston, so one, one person in, in the classroom, he raises his hand and he said, look, I have a lot of music in my head. My problem is that I can't get it out. And the teacher is like, that's everyone's problem. We all have music going around in our head. The problem you have is that you're not proficient in your instrument to know where that sound is placed in your guitar. So you, you do nothing by having a creative mind if you can't express it through the technique of your instrument. Mm. So if you hear a sound, you need to know where that sound is on your fretboard. Otherwise, it's not creative. You're being chaotic. And maybe there's some creativity that comes out of chaos, but then the professional can do both. The professional can do accidental art, like throwing paint at a canvas and it looks good. Or you can do intentional art, which is, I have this image in my head. And then once that image is there, you know you have the skill to paint it. So uh, Da Vinci said uh, at one point that the creative part was noble, but then the execution was kind of lower grade because he knew he had the technique to paint whatever the hell would come through his mind. Mm. And I'm not there. I'm not at the point that I say the instrument is an extension of me or writing is an extension of me. So I need to get the skill polished enough to know how to come take these ideas and bring them to life. So people don't quite understand that, that the creativity really comes after the proficiency. You need a solid base on whatever is going to be your instrument or your means of expression before you can be truly creative. Otherwise you're being just accidentally creative. Anyone can sit down with a guitar and start just strumming away and like, oh, that sounded cool. I maybe make a song and it could be a best, like a top song, whatever. But that's rare and it's mm. accidental, like I said. So the amateur can only do the accidental art. The professional can do the accidental and it can do the intentional. And I wanna get to that spot. Or if I see a story, if I can think of a story, or if I can think of a book or an article and know that I can do it because I polish my skills to the point like I know exactly what a literary 
points or skills or strategies I need to use to bring this home. I want to get there. Right. But it does require a lot of practice. Yeah. Man, I'm glad I'm glad you took a moment to expound on that because <laughs> that that really does man that that opens your mind up to the concept of am I a creative person or am I not? And now having the understand understanding that we're all creative beings but we're not proficient or may not be proficient mm -hmm. in what we choose to express that creativity. Exactly. We have the problem in the self-expression, not in the conception. Wow. I like that. I like that a lot. So I, okay, well then let's, let's, let's just, let's quickly try to go ahead and debunk somebody else's thought process. Cause I can see it jumping up, you know, in the back. If we had a crowd sure. here, I can almost see people's hands shooting up and go, okay, but I'm, but I'm not a musician, but I'm not a, I'm not an artist. I'm not a writer. Those are creative fields. You know, maybe I'm a, uh, maybe I'm a, uh, I'm a businessman or, you know, maybe uh, I'm an, well, I guess entrepreneur businessman is very similar, but you know, what are some ways that we can take that same concept and apply it to whatever it is we're doing? Reading. Yeah. So you need to take in information. So if you're an entrepreneur is reading case studies and mm. then you're like, oh, wow, look at this person, how they did this thing. And now that new idea is going to connect with something else you knew. And now it creates something, something different. So right. creativity has to do a lot with how many pieces of information you have in your mind. So if we could take a moment and imagine someone comes with a blank slate, there is no creativity. You can't create something out of nothing. And that's something that philosophers have been talking about for a long time is like, there is no truly unique or creative idea. Everything is a mix of everything else we've have experienced in the past. Right. So if I ask you to imagine the strangest possible animal you could ever imagine, it would be a combination of parts from things you've seen. Yeah, you cannot true. create something you've never be experienced before in one way or another. So we, we are kind of attached to our senses and to what we've learned, what we know, what we've seen. So creativity, it's fueled by input. You put in more information into your mind, you read more, and now these things start connecting in unpredictable ways. And that's what we consider creativity. So think about it and you have one piece of information, just stays there in your mind. That's nothing. You have two, now you have one way to combine them. You have three, now you have exponential ways to combine them. Okay. At four, and this you create this curve of exponential creativity, the more content you put into your mind. But it also needs to be intentional in the sense of trying to combine things. So I talk about, it's not in the book, but it's a downloadable chapter. I couldn't fit this chapter in the book, although it's one of my favorites. It talks about how to be a a 21st century renaissance man or woman in this case too. It's just like the term is renaissance man, but let's be inclusive. And I haven't um, read, I had, did I, not read that before I called you, before I said that you come off as a renaissance man. So I think that's, that's, that's a cool connection there. So I've always been frustrated because I wanted to learn too many things, but then it takes away your energy and then your time. So let's say I was playing guitar, but then I got interested in photography and I found that I would go into photography, trying to learn everything I could about photography. So landscape photography, pet photography, um, portrait photography, all these different sorts of photography. When I realized that I, I would jump into it, but it was so big that I would be drowning and that would take away too much of my time away from uh, guitar. So the idea, what I'm proposing in that sense, because we always think of either 
jack of all trades, master of none, or master of one trade and nothing else. And I think the trade-off here is that we can choose something that is our center, one single thing that we consider to be our passion or our drive in our lives. And then we can go out to explore things, but only with the intention of bringing back and improving that center. So let me mm. give you an example. Let's imagine that your core in your life is finance. That's what you love the most. But then you also have a, his, uh, a an interesting history. Now, if you jump into history head on, you'll be studying without aim and just it's such a big subject that you will lo lose yourself in it. But if you say, I need to remember that my center is finance. How do I use my interest in history to improve my knowledge and wisdom of finance? Okay, simple. So you study the history of money, history of finance. How did that come about? Yeah. So you're only taking the points that complement your center. And the easiest way, so for the listeners, the easiest way to do this is how would a, a university class that is called history for finance people look like? And just replace those two subjects with anything else you like. And that's going to give you the answer. So let's say music and then photography. How would a university course that says photography for musicians would look like? Oh, mm. so maybe it's how do you take photographs in dark environments for concert photography? And that's the only thing you learn. And now that's going to improve into your study of music. And, and now you can add something. You could create a book if you want to, that is like all this concert photography. Like how has photography improved the image of musicians? Things like that. So you understand right. what I'm trying to say? Same yeah. with martial arts. The cool thing is that with mixed martial arts, now that it gains so much popularity, is the same concept. So at the beginning, people would do just wrestling or just boxing. And they found out that was, that wasn't enough. They needed to step outside their, their circle and study the other martial arts, even if they were not going to turn them into their main one. So wrestlers stayed wrestlers, but they learned to strike. They had to. Strikers stayed strikers, but they need to do some grappling and learn how to not be taken down. So they only went outside their core to learn the pieces that would improve that core. And that's what I'm trying to kind of, that's the message behind it. It's like go outside your center, but only with the intention of enriching it, making it right. better. So only study what you can bring back and incorporate. Yeah. That's going to make whatever you're doing so much better. I like that. I like that. I like to think of it as like a, uh, I kind of had two, two mental pictures in my head. One of them is a, one of them is a salad where you're taking, it's still a salad at the end of the day. There's some going to be some main components about that that make it a salad, leafy greens. You know that's your that's your main. But you're throwing in all these other different things that that just enrich yes the flavor of that food. And then the other vision I get is kind of this. I don't know if alchemy is the best term for it, but you think of all these different ingredients sitting on a mm -hmm. shelf and and experimenting. All the ingredients are knowledge. That's yep. all this knowledge that you have, and you're just experimenting with what would happen if I combined these three together mm -hmm. and then you do that so often that in any given moment when someone presents you with a question or a problem uh, or a comment your response can be based on your experience of what you've combined and that's what that's what helps you express creativity yep. not going too deep into the subject but most of our studies should be done that way problem mm -hmm. is that the educational system and this will be a conversation for another time is designed to be this assembly line so mm -hmm. if you go to university and then all the majors that take accounting is the same class it's the same accounting 101 for everyone 
or you take history and this is the same history 101 for everyone. No, if you're into business, it should be history for business major, accounting for business major. Yeah. Then arts for business major, which could teach what is the business of art, for example. That to me would be more interesting. So this, I had the opportunity to study in a very good music school and they had this class called, um, what was it? Double pedal lab for metal musicians. <laughs> I'm like, I want to learn that. <laughs> <laughs> or That's the other awesome. one was the history of rock for guitar players. Yeah. So look at that history, rock, guitar players is mm -hmm. very specific. So for anyone that likes history, that's an awesome class. Anyone that likes rock, that's an awesome class. Anyone that likes guitar, it's an awesome class. So it's making learning very specialized. And we can do that ourselves. Someone that is into bodybuilding and wants to learn how to cook, going to cooking, that you could think that is counterproductive. Like, look, you're going to be cooking all these awesome things that you can't eat. But mm. if there were a class that was cooking for bodybuilders, like, oh, these are the ingredients that are allowed. Now let's make, like, let's design uh, recipes that are really good and that stay to your macros. Right. That'd be awesome. I would want to go to that class. Right. Cooking for yeah. bodybuilding. Exactly. And there's people so that are doing gonna, that all over the, the place. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. There's people doing that's that all over the place. I like that. I like that a lot. I tell that, I tell people all the time who aren't sure what they're, what is, okay. Yeah. I'd love to work for myself, but, but how do I do that? I tell them all the time. I said, literally, there are hundreds of dads that are being paid strictly because they went outside and started filming themselves grilling. That's just what they were passionate about. And then they talked about the yep. seasonings that they did. And then they talked yep. about how to do it this way and how to do it that way. And all of a sudden they have a logo on, a, on an apron <laughs> and they're selling it and yep. that's their life. Mm -hmm. so yes again we could go and go and go and i'm glad i'm glad we did i'm glad we hang hung in here because man this is this is the gold in the middle of that conversation um and our conversation is one that uh i typically would have conversations around whatever whatever's the meat of what you do and i think naturally we made our we made our way around a lot of that but i probably would have spent more time focusing on the book and how we learn improve and master and you've already divulged quite a bit of that through here but this has been my experience of being creative with conversation because that's what podcast is podcast is a conversation and this has been my experiment to say let me just come on here and just have a conversation yeah. didn't oh, I like didn't that. walk you through an intro nothing we just jumped into yeah. it and where it goes it goes so awesome that's great no and i, and I love that too because uh Yes, there is a lot to talk about on the learning and mastery part but i like going outside the those points because it just complements everything else. Mm -hmm. So it's good to find out about this, all the things that are also kind of go around the learning, the mastery, and then talking about learning different skills. How do we incorporate it? Talking about creativity. It's all kind of based around the same subject. And I like going on these tangents and um, just going deep into some subject that we were not expecting to go into. Yeah. It's good. Yeah, it's awesome. absolutely. Absolutely. Well, all right, man. Let's okay. end it on the podcast, but I know I'll be seeing more of you with the uh, with the masterminding book thinkers and stuff, and uh, good. we'll be diving into more conversations. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, man. Take That's care. Great. Take care. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Nick Velasquez. Very, very awesome conversation. I have been finding that the less of an agenda I have with some of these conversations, the more we actually get out of it. I don't know if that's just me. 
or if that's just uh, I've been blessed with some amazing guests. I'm sure it's certainly the latter there more than the former. But I do want to also let you guys know. So I'll be sprinkling in some of our usual, not not usual, because our guests are very much varying in their backgrounds, what it is they do and their accomplishments, achievements, and journeys and processes in life. But, uh, you know, Nick was part of this mastermind group, and I'm having more and more conversations with people from my mastermind group, those uh, who are willing to hop on the show and, you know, those who we, we, we talk and we think that being on an episode together would be really great, then I will continue to bring those with you guys just to kind of as a way of me bringing you along some of the journey that I am participating in. And there's lots and lots of awesome things coming up because of this mastermind group. So it's not just about the group. There's more involved in that. I don't want to get into any uh, big, big details until they are uh, a bit closer and are actually materializing. But I just want to give you guys something to keep in mind and be on the lookout for that we do have some very awesome things going on with the book thinkers and the individuals involved in that mastermind group. As a matter of fact, I have another gentleman that I had a conversation with that we're going to be doing a two-part episode on the podcast. We're going to have part one on my podcast here on Peace with the Process, but they're going to have part two on his pro- on his podcast. I'm not going to name drop him until we release the episode or his podcast, but be on the lookout for that. It'll be a two-part episode where we, again, similar to mine and Nick's conversation here, where we just kind of let the conversation go where it goes. And if you enjoyed today's style of conversation, be sure to be on the lookout for that conversation as well. We've got a lot of great guests coming up. I'm very excited in what is going on. And if you did not get the email for today's episode, email directly to your inbox with all the links, resources, tools, etc., then you're missing out. You're going to have to go and dig around and try to find out where to find Nick's book. But you could just go to one place and that be your email inbox. You can do so by heading over to peacewiththeprocess.com, scrolling down to the bottom, and the form is there immediately. You can fill that out to sign up for the insider's access emails. Or once you log on to the website, peacewiththeprocess.com, you can head over to, uh, I believe it's resources. And that's going to give you all of the resources that I have uploaded individually. So that's all of the guests' uh, social media links. It's going to be links to their tools and resources, promos, anything that we've had involved. Uh, But you can get all of that emailed directly to you so that you can be one of the first ones to take advantage of that and fill that out on the resources page or at the very bottom of the homepage. So again, thank you all for listening to another episode of Peace with the Process. Before you leave... Wait just a minute before you leave. It would be a very big help. I would love to hear your feedback. If you would head over to Instagram or Facebook, find the teaser post that we uploaded for today's episode, and just put a comment on there. What you thought about today's episode, I have our guest tagged on each of these uh, teaser posts. So if you have anything you'd like to tell them, show appreciation to them for as well for their conversation that they brought to us today, you can do that as well by putting a comment on on there. And if you think somebody would benefit from today's conversation or any of the conversations that we've had on the show, please, please, please hit the share button on that Facebook post or Instagram post, share it to your stories, uh, wherever it is that your friends are going to check it out and be like, Hey, what is this? This is awesome. Uh, how do I get more of it? And then you can just let them know, Hey, 
They are anywhere you get your podcasts and peacewiththeprocess.com. And as a matter of fact, they love ratings and reviews. So if you like the show, be sure to leave them a rating and review because it is very much appreciated and helps more people get these conversations involved in their day so that they can have new insights uh, and new ways to find their own peace with the process. Thank you so much, guys. I'll see you next time.